0: guys, it's Morgan here. Welcome to What Do You Make? A podcast that I make. I ask people that question. What do you make? I talk to creatives, artists, writers, genuinely generally anyone I can con add to my place <laughs> <laughs> to get on the show. It's a bit of a drive. It is. It's a nice drive though. You it said yourself. It is a yourself. nice drive, yeah. And I also make their portrait at some point as a partner to the podcast because that's what I make. I make photographs and today I'm joined by Simon Copland. Welcome. Oh hello and thank you for having me. No worries. I'm so excited that I have podcasted with you before with Mia. I know, I know. And so I pronounced your name correctly. I know, you're, <laughs> one, of, yeah. you're one of the few people who do that. Um, normally everyone gets it wrong the first time. Yeah. Yeah, yeah so there's no
1: E, no E in No Copland. E,
0: yep. And don't Make like one up in your mind because yeah. you think it is the thing. It's funny.
1: I'm from Canberra, and uh, I actually grew up uh, across the road from a uh, a school called what I would call Copland College, which spelt my my name C O P L A N D, um, but everybody called it Copland College. Yeah. <laughs> um, and like just and just right next to that, there is a Copeland Drive, which everybody calls Copeland Drive. Mm. And I now work in a building just opposite one called Copland build, building the Copland building and yeah everybody gets like and i think that everyone says that whoever i don't even know who it was named after that he said his name was Copland because a lot of people with my spellings do call themselves Copland for some reason for some um, but instead, we are definitely oh, Coplands we're definitely <laughs> Coplands
0: <laughs> Simon what do you make um
1: well i was just thinking about this i would say i make words or i make writing i, I write um I, I work in a range of different areas in that space. Uh, so I, my, I guess my main output, if you like, is sort of articles on political and social issues, um, mostly published online, sometimes in newspapers and magazines, that kind of stuff. But I also do other things like work on fiction uh, when I get the time and, mm. and the ability, uh, working on some ideas for sort of nonfiction books, longer pieces on this sort of area's um, yeah, so I write. I write a lot. I write all the time. I'm always writing. Except for like the last week where I've been on holiday and it's been nice to get a break from it. But otherwise I'm writing all the time. Um, and, and using words as a way to express a lot of stuff that goes on in my head, both in terms of my views of, of the world, um, but also as a way to explore different social issues and also just a way to re- release a whole bunch of stuff, you know, for me. Um, that's what writing is all about often.
0: Do you feel that Canberra's a great place for someone like you doing this kind of work i don't think it's any
1: better or any worse than any other place to be honest everyone's sort of you know uh, you know maybe to clarify i'm not writing about the day-to-day action at Parliament House. So I'm mm. not talking about, you know, what did Malcolm Turnbull do today? Or, mm. you know, what are the what are the rumblings about someone's leadership or blah, 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 blah. Mm. Um, because I'm not interested in that because mm. I think it's the same circus over and over again. Mm. Um, I want to, and I like to go a bit deeper than that. Sometimes what I write is, you know, relatively shallow, but sometimes it's nice to go, it's good to go deeper than that. And to think about... Sort of you know stepping back from the day to day politics and thinking about how politics engages with society and how society operates and how we work, and what are some of the big issues that you know Australian society or global society is facing and how do you know how does that inter- interact with politics how do we deal with those sorts of issues that kind of stuff and that stuff i don 't see being actually connecting a lot with the with the day to day politics that we 're talking about. <coughs> um and so i'm not interested in that so canberra for me it's like it's a nice place to live and it's a good place to work it's where i grew up um but for me it's not necessarily any better than when i used to live in brisbane for Mm. example uh or even when i lived in edinburgh for a year and was still writing about australian stuff Mm. because (laughs) because it's like you know it's it's engaging you know i can get a lot of the stuff research i do online or i can talk to people um from all around the country Mm. about Mm. About, their, about what they're doing, and you know, Canberra is not for me. Obviously, for a bunch of other people who are doing a lot more of that politics stuff, it's a much, it's a great place. But yeah. it's no, better it's it's good. It's not necessarily better than anywhere else.
0: <laughs> and we love Brisbane on this podcast, of course. Oh uh, yeah, I love Brisbane too. <laughs> yeah, we're just talking about that. <laughs> um, the thing that the thing that I. I I'd like to just pop back to that and we this constant media circus, as as you describe. Mm. I'm actually quite fascinated as Canberra as a thing, as a construct, um, even those people that are in Canberra that do write about that stuff, why do they even need to be there? I mean, the amount that everyone all around the country writes about this stuff and feeds that machine... Why it's almost like you know you're talking yeah. about you, you went to Edinburgh and you still write wrote about Australia for the whole time or yeah. a lot of the time. Why do they even need to be in camera writing about this stuff? I think sitting? I mean I think
1: there's some um, justification. I think there's no. There's, I think there's fair justification to being at the centre of it when the stuff is going on in in Parliament. You know. You know, and I, I know, and I know journalists and I um, respect. Um, them, I don't respect all journalists, but I respect the journalists I know um, quite a bit, and I know that during sitting weeks, for example, when when the stuff is happening, they spend a lot of time at Parliament House trying to figure out what's going on and analysing stuff and dealing with that. And it's you know that you couldn't do that from somewhere else. Mm. I mean, journalists, you know, all media agencies have lots of people all around the country, um, but you know, in, there is a space for Canberra there. I think. I think Canberra as a construct is a frustrating thing for a lot of Canberrans. Mm. um, mm. You know, when you read the uh, the news that says Canberra did this awful thing or Canberra did this thing, and there's a there's a disconnect. You know, there's a, and something that I'm doing a lot of research on the moment is there's a lot of distrust of of politics. You know, and we've sort of started off at this space today. Um, there's a lot of distrust of politics, um, and a lot of that is felt in Canberra just as much as it is everywhere else. But mm. people connect Canberra and connect to all of the, the, you know, people in, in the public service who are, you know, my partner's a public servant, and I'm um, good friends with lots of public servants mm. who are doing the best they can mm. and get very and get frustrated when they're connected to these people on, in Parliament who are who are the ones playing these political games. Well, it's very and, yeah.
0: I mean, it's very easy for people. I I, I hear this misconception all the time that people think oh I work for the government which means you work for the party that's in government Yeah, it's like yeah. no 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 you just work for the government yeah absolutely yeah, anyone's totally, in power you're just been doing the same thing
1: yeah it's a totally different thing
0: and a lot of and a
1: lot of what people do in government some of it's controversial in the public service and some of it's not a lot of stuff that gets on done in the public service is stuff that is like Important operations of government that, you know, is important for people to to survive or is non-controversial and people Mm. don't know about it and people say, well, we've got to cut the public service and all that kind of stuff. And then not recognising the amount of work that people actually do. Mm. Um, And seeing it front on living in Canberra, you know the amount of work some people do. You know the amount of work, you know, it's just like any job, I guess, where a bunch of people don't do some work. Mm. Um, But there (laughs) is, (laughs) you know. But that's, you know, you go to any, any place and there are people who are not very good at their job. Uh, but it's not like it's endemic to the public service where you have all of these lazy public servants going into work every day getting these huge paychecks and, yeah. you know, just mooching off the, mooching off the taxpayer dollar. Um, but that's, you know, the connection between Canberra and a distrust and I think a fair distrust of politicians and mm. a fair distrust of, of politics is frustrating as a Canberran. Um, but, you know, it's the, it's the world we live in, probably.
0: When, when I was in Canberra only recently, mm. and we, um, we had water? a coffee, yeah, it was great. Um, it did strike me how much of an easy place to live it is. It is so; it's mm. relatively easy to get around. I mean, the public transport's not great, but you know, if you can get in a car, everything's pretty much fifteen minutes away. It is. It is. Yeah. Um, and everyone does seem to just be like. Just, just keen on just having a, a life and just having a good life, not like everyone else, um, not like a lot of people. this you know, they blame this word of Canberra because of that. You know, as you said that that yeah, yeah. The, the way that we talk about. Uh, you know the Politico sort of thing. and say, like, oh, Washington's done this, or oh, Pyongyang's done that. Like yeah, we're listening yeah. to the news at the moment with that stuff. Um, how? Uh, where? I mean, I'm interested to know if where that comes from. I guess I should ask someone like maybe Roly Sussex or a political. Yeah, I don't know which, I don't why don't know. we use the capital city name when we're talking about. What what yeah, is yeah, actually the a decision the that yeah. the government of the day is making? Um, but I I thought it was a really great place, even though it was exceedingly quiet when I was there.
1: Yeah, you were there for a quiet period. I can't remember yeah, when. It was, was exactly. mid yeah. so
0: January. Yeah, January in happened. Canberra is always quiet. <laughs> um, you know, if you go back
1: now, it would be much busier. But. It is. It's an easy place to live. It reminds me of Brisbane a little bit in that way and that it's a bit more relaxed um, in in that it's an easier place to get around and do mm. those things. I lo- one of the things I love about Brisbane is just how relaxed the city feels mm. all the time, mm. um, which I think is probably a factor of the, the heat or the, I don't know what it is, but people are a bit bit, bit more chill around here. Um, and Canberra's got a little bit of that, you know, if I compare it to like Sydney, wherever, whenever I go to Sydney, I just am mm. automatically stressed because getting, yeah. getting from one place to another feels
0: like a huge task. Well, you Um, generally will be getting on a train, and all the other people getting on the train with you are either in a rush to get to or from somewhere else. And it's so heavy and massive. And, um, I mean, as an aside, as a street photographer, I love that. Yeah, I can imagine you would. And living in that energy. Every time I go to Sydney, I get great stuff because there's always tension and stuff happening and and this mess. Um, but, yeah, fuck living there, seriously. <laughs> <laughs> no, I couldn't, I couldn't handle living in Sydney. But it's interesting
1: you talk about that as a photographer because I think as a writer I think that helps too often. It's not for the non-fiction work but I do, but the fiction work that I do, which I dip in and out of, and so it's not something that I I would call, call my predominant work, and so it's not always in my, the front of my brain. But definitely going to places like that... Um. Being active about seeing stories going on is really a valuable thing to do, mm. uh, and I mean you, you can get it anywhere. Um, but watching people is one of the whenever I feel like I'm in a need to do some fiction writing, yeah, um, or just you know have that bit of urge. Uh, watching people and seeing them and sort of creating your own stories in your, in your head about what's going on is a really fun thing to do and a place like Sydney is great for that because there is so much going on you can, you can sit somewhere and watch people go go by and sort of uh, you know see what's going on and manufacture things and if you're if you really one of the, uh, if you're really observant and it's so easy to be in anywhere in the world and not be observant just sort of be doing what you're doing but if you're really observant you can notice little things in the in the world that that you wouldn't notice otherwise and that actually tell a lot about people and tell a lot of stories about what's going on in the world and what's going on in this this little space that you're in maybe you know if you're sitting at a train station the amount of different characters you could see and and the 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 different stories you can create from that or um, the different sort of observations you can make, make is a really fun task to do, um, and a big city like Sydney is great for that. I, I lived in Edinburgh for a while as well, and Edinburgh was great for that as well because there's always stuff going on in Edinburgh, even though it's quite a small city. It's just a it's just a bustling city all the time.
0: Even so, even with your non-fiction work, though, that strikes me is that it could be extremely informed by those mm. observations. Why do you particularly say, oh, or maybe more with the fiction stuff?
1: I think you're right. I think actually, funnily, maybe I get a lot more of my non-fiction. So I do a lot of work in in politics and in particular a lot of stuff on gender and sexuality, some stuff in the environment, but also just culture in, gen, in general. I get a lot of my inspiration from that from watching conversations online um, yeah. and – so watching stuff in physical interactions can be really valuable. Absolutely, um, uh, but, but could, it's yeah, it's it's harder to often discern meaning from that um, because you're you've got only a limited space of what you can what you can view. So it depends on what kind of space you're in and what kind of thing you're observing. Um, but sometimes it's hard to do that. Some you know if you're going to. A more, I don't know, I'm thinking, more political action or an event or something like that. You could see it's quite easy to to sort of do ethnographic research, I guess, um, of what's going on. Online, even in my, you know, on Facebook groups or um, Twitter or all those kind of spaces, Tumblr, you can, because people are writing stuff down, you can get a bit more meaning. You can discern some more meaning from that and get greater understandings of of what people are thinking when they're engaging Mm. with that. Now, obviously, it's a different space, but I think that those spaces are increasingly becoming um, social spaces like we consider a lot of those outside spaces as well. So you have this interesting fact where you can sort of start to also put two and two together in many ways where you can see what's going on in the physical world and then you have this online world where people are putting those thoughts down and actually putting them into a public space and a public forum often Um, and so you can actually look at that and go here is um, some here's what I can see in the physical world that I you know and here is some meaning that I can really connect those two together and actually create a stronger story from that. Um, when I'm doing it with the fiction in those physical spaces, I, mean, I don't get much inspiration online because when when the fictional, you know, in the physical spaces, it's looking at somebody and making up your own totally you're making up your own totally. story. It's too um, black and
0: white. It's too spelt out when it's mm. when it's that person online talking. Yeah, about exactly. Thing. Yeah. 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 I mean, so and where, so, where did you get those? Because I'd like to, I'd like to delve into the fiction at some point. Yeah, um, yeah. I'm a massive comic book fan, um, and I don't know if you've ever. Got into comics or not writ, really in no. any comics, um, but it's certainly fiction is certainly something that I well, you look at around this room. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I'm not a stranger to fictional world, but where did you when did you start writing about politics, gender identity, sexuality?
1: Yeah, okay, that's a good question. Um, it's I, a tiny first, question. <laughs> no, no, I first, no, no, I first really started doing it, gosh. I did a little bit in my first years of uni and then when I was 21, I moved to Sweden for a year on a uni exchange Uh, and I had a lot of free time. Um, I wasn't working because I'd managed to save up money and I got some, I was getting some funds elsewhere, etc. So I I didn't have to work and I was studying and to to be honest, the courses I was doing in Sweden were were relatively easy compared to what I was doing in Australia. So I had a bit of free time. Uh, and I channeled that into first starting a blog, writing a blog, um, just to just out of interest sake, uh, just you know for fun, I guess, uh, you know, just to explore. And you know, it was a political blog, just to so sort of to explore some political issues and writing about whatever it was. When was uh, that? So this was two thousand and nine. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and so then, the, da- the
0: the downfall of the first uh, Kevin Gillard. Situation, perhaps. Well, that yeah. was what was happening at the time, but you were writing about different yeah, things. Yeah, no, that was. No, it was actually not quite client. It was, that, cli- it was that time.
1: 2009 was more the peak of the Kevin Rudd era. Okay. Um, and then it was 2010 when he really. That's right. About, That's right. Um, you know, and I guess the, some of the background to that as well is that I was involved in politics quite heavily before I left for Sweden. So I was uh, involved in the Greens in um, the 2007 and 2008 election. I was the environment officer for a while at my university. Um, you know in the in the students association um, you know so I'd been involved in politics and i 've always grown up in a political family and had that you know and part, maybe that 's a benefit of Canberra in many ways yeah that totally. you grow up in political spaces uh, and yeah, and then in Sweden, I started doing that, and then i um, my my dad that year a new um, uh, gay and Lesbian Magazine started in Canberra, probably the first one, the first first and only Canberra and Gay and Lesbian Magazine, and my dad sent me a copy of it mm. and it had the uh, email address of the editor and I sent him an email mm. saying, would you ever like writers, just as an off chance, and he came back and said, actually, we're looking for a political writer. Um, and mm. I i didn't really have any bona fides at that time, but he <laughs> he took me on just to do that for free. Uh, and I started doing that for, for a while. Yeah. And then when I got back, I got back in 2010. I spent 2010 working in politics quite a lot. And then in 2011, I got a job in the public service and then at the, you know, at the university, at the ANU. Uh, and then I started to do some more writing as, cause as a sort of a an aside, I guess, of part of that, uh, you know, as a side project. And then it's sort of built on from there. Are you still at the ANU? Yeah, no, I've actually, <clears throat> as part of this... Um, so I've had lots of jobs in between, but I've just recently um, uh, started my PhD at the ANU. Um, so that's been really good. and that That is really good in a way. Uh, so I've spent a lot of time being freelance, uh, working freelance writing. So I, I guess I started at the ANU in 2011 and worked there through the end of 2012 working communications uh, and then moved to Brisbane. And when I moved to Brisbane from – so from in 2013, I spent the next four years – Working freelance, doing freelance writing, and doing some um, campaign jobs as well. Some different, different, different bits of pieces of work. And then this year, I decided to start to do a PhD as a way to do a lot of the writing that I'm currently doing, a lot of the research yeah, that I'm totally. currently doing, with a lot more structure and support behind it.
0: As like a vehicle. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Absolutely. You know, and to have a, um, to have a an organisation. That can back me up in doing yeah. that has been really valuable, um, and that's that's you know freelance is really hard in that way. Uh, you will connect with this very strongly, to- totally. You know, and totally. I'm still doing a lot of freelance work, so I'm doing freelance work as an extra, uh, as a thing that I still love, and also as a um, as an extra money maker um, because a, you know a university scholarship doesn't really um, isn't really enough. Uh, but so I'm still doing that freelance work. Um, but it's nice to have a base, a bit more of a base that can help me out with that kind of stuff or that can just, you know, that can be a, a base for research and really interesting things. Um, and do this free work, freelance work on top of that as well. So it's been, that has been really valuable thing to do.
0: I'm discovering right now with this job, how valuable at least some sort of regular framework is can provide the freelance work with a really good environment to to exist outside of that and alongside that um and, and because it's so sometimes it's just i mean in, mentally and financially um having absolutely nothing else as a thing as a as a backup it can be very stressful has been yeah. very stressful uh, for us. And so having uh, – I'm doing some part-time work at the moment and it's supplementing the – it's not only uh, – yeah, it's not only supplementing the photography business for me, I feel. It's also actually allowing me to do it a lot better. Yeah. I yeah. don't feel like I'm scrambling to do stuff and I'm putting good work out. Um, And it's generally happening – like, you know, I got three inquiries in two days. This week.
1: Yeah, and I guess probably, I'm guessing for you, it makes it just it makes it less stressful. So you're not you're not too worried about having to find that work constantly, and mm. ta- and potentially even taking up stuff that you might not want to do mm. because of that money mm. fear. Mm. Um, totally understand that. Yeah, um, and I found you know the what I was thinking about in terms of writing. So in terms of my nonfiction space you know, what are the kind of avenues that I could explore that could give some structure and some base to being able to delve into these big, you know, ideas and issues that I, that I like to write about quite often. Um, and, you know, there, there are two different avenues available for that. And I think, you know, there's journalism is one and then there's probably academia, which is another another space and I, journalism has never really appealed to me very much because of what we were talking a bit, about, a bit about before that a lot of the the journalism that exists and is not stuff that i'm interested in and to spend years going through that you know to potentially become the next you know katherine murphy or something who gets to write about whatever she wants uh, is not 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 something I was that interested in to be honest. You can write huh.
0: about whatever you want now. Yeah, you just exactly. Don't get paid as much. Yeah, um, exactly. You just don't you know, get paid as much. Who's happier? Yeah, Catherine Murphy after yeah. fighting for however long she's fought. I guess you know yeah. twenty, thirty years or something. At least in that sort of position to be able to go. Yeah. But at what cost? Yeah, yeah,
1: and I, you know, and and I want to go back and say that. I think that there is a lot of great work that journalists do, both at her level and at the levels lower, and it's a really important profession that we that we have. But it just wasn't, just didn't, doesn't suit me. Um, and also, like at the same time, I mean, this is ha- happening in academia as well. You're seeing these huge cuts to journalism, uh, and so a journalism career is looking increasingly totally unviable. Totally uh, and. Yeah. Um and that 's a real shame um because I think it's such an important profession um and so so that 's where I started to look at acad- academia as a space where I could be doing a lot of the writing I want to be doing all the research that I want to be doing, um but doing it in this more structured way and 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 getting rid of some of that stress of freelance work and i 've <laughs> definitely noticed as i 've done it more actually totally um that it 's gotten more stressful for me mm. um, in that uh it 's just it 's insecure you don 't ever have a base you know i 'm not I don't have a you know and the biggest thing for me is I think it's quite lonely as well in that um I worked from home I would often work in cafes and I still do um but that is it's not you know I, there's no there's no connection with people when you're doing that uh, you go in cafe and you might talk to the uh, the um the person giving you coffee, but you're still working by yourself. It's really hard unless you're like interviewing people or requesting interviews or something like that to ask people for advice or to engage with people on And this is in the freelance world, in particular for writing. I'm not sure to be like for you, but um, you know, dealing with editors, for example, you, there's not much space because they're so busy, um, because you know they're so short-staffed. There's not too much space to engage very deeply with the content of what you're writing. You sort of pitch something to them. You say, this is what I want to write. They come back and say, yeah, that's fine. That sounds good. And then you go off and write it and then you come back. You don't come back until you've got a final piece unless unless you have some problems or, you know, encounter something. Um, you know, you don't get to, it's not easy. You can't, you know, no one's going to. Uh, say, you know, agree if you want to have a coffee, for example, to talk about a piece. That's just not good, not the thing you do. Totally. Um, so there's no way to engage. There's no way that there's no connection with people. There's no way to talk to people to actually get feedback and to engage with. Them. they have to do. All of that work a lot yourself. And it's, it's quite difficult and quite lonely in that kind of way. Mm-hmm. Um, what I've already found going into a university space is – you know, the ability to talk to the the person down the hall who's doing research on the topic that you're interested in yeah. and to have a coffee and to have some legitimacy to do so. Mm. Um, and, you know, and they're more interested in me as a PhD student than they would have been if I was a freelance writer working on this issue. Um, so that sort of structure is really valuable. It's, it's sad in that freelancing, I think freelancing gives you a lot, um, but it is increasingly becoming a, particularly for artists, um, becoming the norm. It is the norm mm. um, for writers, for photographers, for for artists, for musicians. Uh, finding stable work in these kinds of areas is, is, is near impos- impossible these days um, for many, many people. And so you have situations where people are either um, working side jobs that... Uh, are not connected to their work at all, or also to their passion, or to what we need in our society. Or, you know, obviously, sorry, that's people, you know, what, you know, the sort of art we want in our society. Um, or you have people who are just scrounging for work all the time. And, you know, neither of those, that's not a great position to be in um, for a, a lot of people, you know. The more structured jobs, you know, There's some restrictions on those. They're a bit more constrained. You don't always get to do what you want to do, but the the base is often really valuable.
0: But it's someone else's work, and that is actually a wonderful thing. I mean, because at the moment it's actually really great that this Mm. other job doesn't have a ton to do with photography. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, It's not – you're not engaging that part of you all the time, and so, you know, you're avoiding burnout. Yeah, absolutely. you've got a bit more of a support sort of network. But it is a lonely, it is a lonely pursuit. And I know uh, I also work for myself. I mean, here, especially being so far out, like there's actually quite a big community of photographers and particularly wedding photographers here in Brisbane that's really great. Yeah. But it's a case of us all deciding to get out at the one time and have a beer. And that's that's where those social spaces come in, your Instagram, Facebook. I mean – as much as I would, part of me wants to not be on that, that on Facebook at all. Um,
1: yeah. Oh, I find it integral. Like, I—it's a low-level connection, or well, yeah. it's a mid-level
0: connection, but it's a connection.
1: Yeah, it is. It is a connection, and it's—it's it's not a replacement for face-to-face um, or even phone calls. Um, but it is—it is valuable. I mean, I do Facebook for my work, so I have a I have a pro- professional page, so I have to be on there. Um, but you know, it is it is a space where I can message people all the time and, and you know, and have some connection mm. going on during a day. Mm. Um, so that is a valuable thing for me. Um, but, yeah, I can imagine being further out from the city, it must be tough because um, you would, uh, yeah, it would, be, it would just be hard to get those connections physically at least or, you know, there must be gatherings that you must miss that because... Yeah. Because you're
0: further out. There's a weekly gathering of the camera club that I'm part of. I mean, it's not really a traditional camera club, but we call ourselves a West End camera club. Yeah. They all live near, in West End or at least a lot closer to the city than me. And I never can go. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, it's, it takes me 40 minutes to get to the city from here at least. Mm, mm. Um, but if I was there, I'd be out there. It'd be five minutes walk. That'd be great.
1: Yeah, and those sorts of associations are really important, I think. Um I mean, those sorts of clubs are really important, yeah. Uh, and you know, being able to be able to access them is really important. Uh, I think it's—I I find at least for me, I find in the in writing that they that they don't really exist so much. They do in fiction. There's lots of writing groups that you can join and courses and that kind of stuff. But I think freelance nonfiction writing is such a new idea, um, and s- that in many ways, in many ways, it's a new idea. Um, particularly with this online space, that these sort of groups have not really developed. At least I can't find them or, you know, at least I don't really know much about them. Um, Yeah, because... And so, you know, there are people out there who are working freelance every day and and I know them online, but you rarely... It's sort of... There's a disconnect between traditional journalism and writers, authors, you know, um, and there 's a there 's this group in the middle of freelance writers who don 't really fit into either and yeah they uh, and you know that 's a lonely place to be in when you 're in that that group and I think that eventually because of what 's happening in journalism in particular where they 're increasingly relying on freelancers um, maybe that will become a more solidified core, but in many ways you don 't you know in many ways it's that 's a sad state to be in mm. um, but yeah you know, at the moment for those freelancers it 's often it's a it's a very lonely place because you don't fit into any of these traditional group, groups. Um, you're either an author or a journalist. You're not something in between.
0: Um, something that just occurred to me was how, especially with the content that you are dealing with and, the, and also the complexity at which you address it, your requirement for a group of those people who are dealing with that and expressing it and... Challenging it and throwing ideas at it in the same way, you would need to have those groups and you would need to have those people when, in your personal life, you would be one of the few people like in your family and your your social circles and on Facebook and whatever that you would be not well one of the few a, a smaller group of those people in those situations who have those informed opinions about those things, and so to actually then be like, well from going from this place where it's constantly, I mean, do you feel like you are constantly putting have, having to challenge or respond to those things? Say, oh, well, actually this is a far more nuanced, you know, debate about this. And I have this, <coughs> oh, yeah. this X, Y, Z reason. And, you know, in terms of that place, you like, you would feel quite, I, I, mm. I, I feel quite, I'm not even a writer. I don't even address it in, you know, a thousand words and get paid by people to do it. I just, yeah, yeah. I think I read people like yourself. Um, <laughs> I think, I don't want to
1: big up myself here in my writing, but I think, you know, we were talking about this a bit before, uh, what I do like to do. And, you know, I I come from a very, you know, let's just I come from a very left wing perspective in a lot of my writing. and And I'm not just a you know, a lot of the writing, all of the writing I do is either opinion based or analysis based in some form. Um, and so it's not just straight up journalism of this is what happened on the day. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so just you know, for, for your listeners, that's kind of more. It's more working in opinions and working, you know, writing opinion pieces, doing longer feature pieces about particular issues, um, largely around gender and sexuality, and and in particular focusing often in the social movements around gay okay, and lesbian rights or feminism, those kinds of things. Uh, or uh, you know and then often connecting that to bigger politics, you know bigger not bigger politics, but sort of other other aspects of politics. Um, what I like to do, and this this is from my political philosophy, sort of my background, you know I think that there are a lot of areas of mainstream uh, you know for example gay and lesbian politics that really need to be challenged um, that I find very frustrating and and that level. Of analysis, I come from a unique and different perspective that I think only a few people out there have, mm. and I know those people um often mm. you know um but there's only a few of us you know there's only a small group who have have this sort of more critical perspective, and then even a smaller group who who write about it actively yeah um and so I know those people, and I get to know those people largely from reading their work and then and being you know and connecting you know and i, uh, I do a podcast um as well on queer politics and you know I do that with this guy called Benjamin Riley and one of the ways the way we connected is through liking each other's writing yep, for example totally uh, and and having similar although often you know at times divergent views on things but you know being able to come from a, yeah. at least from a you know similar perspective totally. um, but it can be challenging not just to be a writer but then one who bucks the trends on things uh, and is sort of out there on stuff that um makes you unpopular basically <laughs> um, or you know or makes you at least you know have a very different viewpoint um, and and but also it's kind of a it's it 's a unique situation in that it's i'm not you know going into this sort of progressive circles i 'm not unpopular but because I'm like from the right and therefore I mm. have all these people on the right who, would agree, who are who I could be friends with mm. or conservatives who I could be friends with. But I'm unpopular, you know, often because I'm on the left in a different way. So, I mean, the best example of this is, you know, to going into content. Um, you know, in Australia we had this huge debate about a, a plebiscite on um, yeah. on same-sex yeah. marriage last year. Um, and I was totally for a plebiscite on same sex marriage mm, mm. from a left wing perspective. Mm. Um, and that, you know, writing about that was quite isolating yep. um, at times. Yep. Um, because I had people who were accusing me of wanting gay and lesbian kids to kill themselves, which is clearly not the perspective I take. You know, clearly I'm not that person. But you just. are reading the headline. People, people you know. <laughs> yeah, or people see, you know, pro. You know, pro plebiscite, anti plebiscite. You have to be one of those positions. And if you're pro plebiscite, that you're this. If you're anti plebiscite, you're this. And therefore, something that's in between or that's outside those two boxes, I will just mould it into one of those boxes. And that happens quite a lot in our public debate. Mm. Oh, this and is
0: yeah. This is exactly where I wanted this conversation to go. Um, but yeah, I mean that that uh, I, I cannot imagine how isolating that would be. I've only ever, in the sense of expressing my opinion on the internet, it's been generally within my own social circles. And I've mm. certainly pissed people off, and people have unfollowed me on Facebook because I got a bit too political and whatever. How how do you then reconcile that? How do you how do you yourself deal with deal with that and find? I mean, do you, do you get enough feedback?
1: I think what's interesting. I think I found it really tough to start off with, uh, and I was really. Um, I really struggled initially when I first started writing publicly, particularly when I started writing stuff online that had that easy feedback loop. Mm. I really struggled with getting negative feedback and then freaking out and thinking that what I've written was the dumbest thing in the world and, <laughs> you know, everyone's going to hate me and this is going to affect me for the rest of my life and blah, 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 blah. Yeah, yeah. Um, that has passed quite a lot primarily for a couple of reasons, I think. I think I've become more confident in myself, which is natural, I think, just as you get older and do something more. Yeah. Um, but also I feel like I've developed politically and as a writer to the point where I feel comfortable putting stuff out there. Um, secondly, um, I feel comfortable that... It's, you know, I would probably look back at stuff that I wrote five years ago and disagree with half of it, you know, and <laughs> um, and, it's, and it's really comforting in some ways. It's kind of weird in some ways to think about, you know, what happens in 20 years time when if I've written books, for example, and then you go back and disagree with half of it, you know, how that shapes what you're putting out there. But it's so, also comforting to know that you change. People change. Just um,
0: remember to never tweet anything, Simon. <laughs> yeah, never tweet anything. You know, and I hate, you know, this is a divergent, but I hate all of this stuff of like. Look at this person said two years ago exactly. about this subject. Even if it's someone new to. Even if it's Andrew Bolt. Yeah. I think that, you know, I People think change, that yeah. thing is so. You know, I think the best,
1: the best example of this, and, you know, and I don't agree with the outcome of it, but the best example of this was. Recently, during the um, when uh, when Trump decided to, do, to send those bombs into Syria, mm. you know, and I don't agree with him doing that, and I just want to make that very clear. Um, but it was really frustrating to see people like, oh look, you know, five years ago he tweeted it that Barack Obama shouldn't do that. Now, a lot has changed in those in that time. Also, he became president and has had a whole, a whole lot of changes and responsibilities. We can't judge someone based on tweets from five years ago. Mm. So you, your positions change. People's your positions change. And it's not the end of the world for that to occur, and also like getting negative feedback can be a good way to challenge your position and to
0: as an opportunity as for a, you to
1: to reflect on it, yeah, you know you don't particularly in this world where articles come and go, and there are only a there are only a few of my articles I think which have which i which you know I still get people talking about every now and then because a lot of stuff, you know, it comes and goes and it's great because you get into a a political discussion you engage with it and then it sort of moves on and you can create a a longer-term narrative over lots of articles but the individual pieces come and go. Um, And you can – we're in a space there where that means that what you write can change over time Mm. and can develop over time. And the idea of judging someone, you know, for – what they wrote 10 years ago is ridiculous to me. But also the idea, and I think this happens a lot, particularly in the sort of identity politics space, um, where if someone makes a mistake or what is determined to be a mistake or whatever, you know, an offensive comment, they can be outcast. And this is something that I definitely have a fear of, um, being often uh, having opposite views or, you know, uh, being someone who who takes a divergent view from the uh, from others is that i think the one of the worst things about our online world but also about sort of not identity politics is so focused on on things like offense being offended and and you know um respect and all that kind of stuff is that if people do write stuff and they make a mistake they are often outcast very quickly uh and that 's a challenge that I definitely deal with in sort of being fearful about writing about controversial topics, and there are mm. some topics that I probably still wouldn't write about because if I know that my views would go so contrary to the the mainstream of that that I would potentially be labeled some awful thing and and be outcast <laughs> and that 's not something that I, I want to do right at this point of time yeah. <laughs> um, but that is a that is a that's a thing that I deal with. And that you know, you have to dip your toes into topics. Sometimes you dip your toes in slowly, and then, <laughs> and then build up your profile. How um, complete
0: are those articles, Simon? That already sitting on your hard drive? No, <laughs> uh, yeah, good question. No, they're not actually. They're,
1: they're mostly sitting in my brain. Yeah. Um, but I have this funny process where, so I will write a weekly piece for um for SBS Sexuality at the moment. Yeah. And so I do that. I enjoy that because it's good to be able to use the writing muscles weekly and to engage with that. And they're short pieces and I can engage in a topic and it can come in and out. And sometimes I do longer term pieces for them as well. Um, so I'm working with something over a few weeks and then get published one week. Um, but also I on top of that, I will write, um, I will always have a sort of another bigger piece that I'm thinking about. Uh, and often what will happen is I'll be thinking about an idea for weeks or months, but not be putting anything to paper and then finally get the space to pitch it to someone get accepted and then write it in two days, yeah. um, you know, and, yeah. but the the idea is there, um, but it's just, and it's well formulated and thought out and I might do some reading about it, but I don't actually often, I don't write until right at the, that space, at that time. I don't know whether that's actually a process or whether that's just a factor of time and life and not having the energy to write something until I get the pitch accepted, but either way it works. Um, <laughs> so no, those articles are not being written. Um, they will be written the moment I have the courage to That's pitch right. them to someone. That's right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but we do live in a world that is nowadays particularly – it's not the word I really want to use, but particularly sensitive or at least maybe even better, it's particularly unforgiving – Um and And will take individual instances to be the measure of a person and will not accept the possibility of someone of people having faults and sometimes uh, having those faults you know occur in public, mm. but that not meaning that they're
0: the worst person in the world mm. um, on a on related to this, I was reading uh, it was a couple of years ago um, yeah, and I'm very aware that you know it's very easy for a man to, in this climate, to acknowledge their privilege and acknowledge their um entrenched sexism and things like that. Because um, generally, we are praised mm. when we say these things, and you know, women say the exact same thing, and they, are, you know, the same, yeah, you know, yeah, absolutely. The same. Um, the same shit happens as always happens, and whatever. Um, but it was an interesting piece I was reading, and I'm pretty sure it was someone from uh, it was a it was a video game publication. I'm not sure if it was IGN or Kotaku or something in that realm. And I just, the, but the uh, the the core was, um, it's not good enough for me to come out and say, oh, I acknowledge this, and now I'm fixed. Um, I have to acknowledge the fact that I am sexist, and I will continue to do sexist things, even though I have. Uh, figured a lot of this stuff out, the more you figure out, the more you figure you've got to figure out. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Because it's just like saying, well, look, I'm going to... And that's just one example. But I just thought it was quite interesting as like, hey, like I acknowledge that I'm going to keep fucking up. Um, But at least from this point, it's a case of, hey, like, uh, please call me out and we can all try and be better together.
1: Yeah, I think that um, people develop and... uh everybody 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 changes over time, you know, and it doesn't mean you know, some people and it can go in different directions all, all over the place. So when I think about my development, I think for me, I have become more politically sophisticated and more nuanced and understand things better. People, other people might see that completely differently because my views have changed, and because of that, um, but people might see that as a degeneration rather than a <laughs> rather than going in the positive direction. But that's that's fine. But what I'm guessing getting at it is that people change, and you can't. It's it it's particularly difficult in the writing space because it's so easy to to judge people off one word, you know, one sentence that they wrote at some point of time. Yeah, but that it's not who they are as a person necessarily. It might be. It might be them those views might be exactly the same as that person has. Um but people that person might also regret what that what they wrote. Um I have this great I have actually have a really good example of this. I wrote a piece um a few years ago. Uh yeah, it would have been maybe two thousand and fourteen, just before I moved to Edinburgh. I was writing for uh, a magazine called um, Sydney Star Observer, which is the Sydney's biggest gay magazine, uh, and some new statistics had come out about increase in HIV rates. Uh, and I wrote a piece that I now regret that was quite... I sort of angry, I guess, in that was the best term about... Uh, you know, the, the researchers had said that a lot of this was about dropping condom, rate, condom usage in gay male communities... Um, and so I wrote this piece basically angri- angrily saying, What the fuck is everyone doing? Just fucking use condoms because it's ridiculous. Now, there was, it was not, um, there was parts of it that I would probably still stand by, but there was a lot of it that I wouldn't, and that um, it sort of just didn't engage with some of the nuance of the issue in the way that I wanted to engage with it. Um, and I remember it being posted uh, hmm. and seeing it posted on the, The Facebook page for the magazine and seeing all these comments coming through and sort of panicking because I realized as, as, you know, it was one of those things where I just hadn't thought it through. Mm. And then someone else, um, who I'm now friends with online and friends with in real life then wrote sort of an angry response to it. And it was sort of this thing that I realized, holy crap, but just, you know, it was not something that I'd anticipated and it was not something that I'd wanted. And once I had sort of seen all this feedback come through, I went, well, you know, I got it that wrong. I got that wrong to some extent at least. Um, no, I definitely got it wrong. And at that moment, I was quite fearful that, you know, any reputation I had about writing about things like HIV would be completely trashed yeah. based on yeah. that. Uh, and it could have easily been done so. Could have easily done so, you know. But I, I kind of took a break from writing on that particular issue for a little bit <laughs> to let it settle. But, you know, it was. it's, you know... I bet, you know, I suspect there are probably people out there who, if I was to write on this, on that issue, and I do write on HIV now, um, who would probably throw that into my face as the piece that you know, that you know, uh, that shows how terrible I am on this issue. And our culture, we have a really strong culture of doing that, of really throwing that kind of stuff into people's faces. But you know, it was a mistake. I wrote something that was pretty stupid at that point in time. I was egged on at the time by an editor who was really excited about that piece because it got lots of hits, and <laughs> you know that was dumb. Um, and that's what that's part of the podcast. That people, was dumb. Yeah, people people do dumb things. sometimes. Someone complimented say that dumb was things. Dumb. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, and, and maybe we can go to the to, you know one of the the biggest. You know, maybe this is a, going to be a controversial topic to bring up, but a couple of years ago, you know, a similar example of this, and this is a bigger scale version of this, is was that. Um, Uh, what's his first name? The scientist who made the sexist comment at the Korean... Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, and the one that really blew up, ended up him getting fired from a bunch of spots. And then, like, a month later, it sort of came out that he was actually making a joke about sexist stereotypes that came out kind of awkwardly. Yeah. And this, again, it was this instance of, like, you know, a social media storm going crazy. And, um, you know, and... And, you know, and someone facing real consequences for it. And there's a guy who's written a book, um, I've forgotten his name, he's written a book called So You've Been Shamed by Social Media or So You've Been um, Shamed on Social Media about people who tweet one thing and end up, you know, being completely pilloried and losing their jobs for it and all that kind of stuff. And it's actually a really sad state of affairs where I think it's actually constraining our debate so significantly where if you have... A controversial view; um, it's it's uh, often becomes the case now where having a controversial view can be so detrimental to a career, either in writing or just any other career, that it actually constrains our debate to these sorts of sort of to and fro analyses that don't don't expand our capacity to think beyond. sort of basic confines of our modern discourse and a lot of that sadly um is being driven by the left Mm. um driven by our left who don't want to hear you know different positions from the ones that have been developed by the left and that's a really sad state of affairs and that's not just occurring like in the this person said a sexist thing and now they're getting fired kind of way but it's also occurring in the this person has um controversial views on gender and sexuality from a left-wing position but that's being labeled as too much or whatever and
0: because the nuance isn't being accepted the
1: nuance isn't being accepted or the the reality of there's you know um you know another example that I use is it's uh I've written quite a few pieces about criticizing the the concept of a gay gene or the idea that sexuality is an essential you know, it's it's something that we're born with, um, and that is such a heri- You know, it's a it's it's a um, such a, a, a heretical view to have. It's not a view we're allowed to have mm. um, because it has become so ingrained in gay and lesbian culture that that is what is that is what 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 we are. Mm. Um, that even challenging that is somehow seen as a challenge of people's own. Um, Self, And it's and we live in a world where you can't challenge one's concept of self anymore. Identity politics has become so ingrained that you can't challenge that. So, you know, everything becomes personal. Everything that's political becomes personal. And if you write something that is a contrary view to how one sees themselves, then you are therefore attacking them. And that is, you know, when it comes to an issue like that, um, you know, it's so common that you become this evil force who is trying to destroy how everyone perceives themselves. And I think that's a really... Um, it's it's not a healthy way to engage in debate and to you know to be able to uh, engage in in social discussion about about these big issues
0: so where to from here like how, how does that i mean do you feel like you're fighting this battle a little bit by little bit
1: oh um,
0: one issue at a yeah. time <laughs> it's actually challenging
1: because i do think you know i think the funny thing about writing is that it's often easy to feel like what to often it's it, it often feels like you're writing into a void and that you write stuff and that it has no impact and that it doesn't actually um do anything mm-hmm. um and particularly with a lot of these more um controversial views that I can take at times. It can feel like that where you're sort of writing in something that, that I that I hold strongly um, and then it sort of goes out there, everybody disagrees with it, and then it's really achieved nothing. <laughs> <laughs> I think I don't know where to from here. I guess where to from here is, you know, I, I do it because I I hold these opinions but also and because I enjoy doing this research and doing it, but also just do it because I, lo- I love doing it. Um, and I think engaging in this sort of debate is important, and being able, being in the position where I can do that, is a position, is a pretty privileged position to be in, and so it's one I want to continue doing. Now, whether that
0: means I'm going to change anything in the world, I don't know. Hopefully, <laughs> be nice. Um, do you feel like you've seen, like? Have you seen any real world example? Has anyone come back to you and said, "Hey, I read this and and blah," or I've been following you for a few years and. You know, mm. your works made me think quite a lot and it's challenged my opinions and that's generally been a positive thing that's happened to me.
1: Yeah, actually I do get that, which yeah. is a really nice thing. Yeah. Um and I get it from both friends and strangers, mm. which is also really nice. Mm. Um and I get it on a range of different issues. So yeah, it's it, it that does happen. Um Uh, And it's one of the nicest parts of the work, actually, is having someone, you know, or having someone message you online and say, I really liked that and it really changed my position or having someone you meet who is a friend of a friend and you say your name and they're like, Simon's a writer or something like that. And they say, oh, I read that thing. And, or, you know, actually, I know your work. And that's always weird to me um, when I'm, <laughs> I'm like, I have this view in my head that the only people who read my stuff and they probably don't even read it that much is are my friends. Um And then you get this out and then you meet someone randomly and they're like, oh, I've read your work. And I'm like, how do you even know? Like, no, I just write and it goes onto my Facebook page and that's it. Well, Nobody
0: shares it. We spoke in January about how I was, you know, humbly reading Helen Rays' blog. Yeah. And she was like, and these four young writers that I'm following at the moment because they're doing this and this and this. um, Simon Copeland, I'm like, fuck, I know that guy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I really liked that. It was really nice.
1: Um, That was such a, like when I saw that appear and I didn't, I didn't, I had no idea that was coming. I was <laughs> no, like, oh, because no. well, ah. it, it was just
0: on her hostess, bad hostess blog. yeah. Hostess yeah. Blog. yeah.
1: Um, and that was just like, that was a really nice thing. And I get, I actually get, so I have a website and I just, I'm increasingly getting people, um, I just have a contact form and I increasingly people emailing me with, um, sometimes with requests to do things or to appear on things or sometimes just providing feedback and people I don't know. And that's really actually quite, Gratifying. Mm. Um, something's happening. Yeah, something's happening there. I guess. Some, you know, it's nice. It's really easy. I guess when I first started writing, I had this sort of idea of like, I'll start and I'll work on these small publications, and then I'll just get bigger and bigger and bigger. And you know, I don't know. One day, I don't know what will happen, but I'll just be this amazing, well-known writer somehow. Host, but it host of Q and a so Yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't doesn't <laughs> it doesn't quite work like that. You have these no. you have these ups and downs, and sometimes. Sometimes I'm getting published regularly and then sometimes for a month or two nobody wants anything that I'm pitching them, you know, and it's like, oh, what's happening? I thought that I'd have, you know, publications coming to me asking me to write things, but it's just not how it works. Um,
0: because they've got other people coming to them exactly. with other stuff and, you know, you came to them with a variation, you know, you you may feel like you've got this totally different take or this totally mm. different aspect of this issue that you're uh, discussing and tearing apart and whatever, um, and they look at it and go, yeah, but that's pretty similar, pretty much in terms of our scope than what you gave to us last month. Yeah, yeah. And we've or, got this thing to other thing to talk about. Absolutely, and you don't know what's. What, or you know, we've got other writers like. writing on this topic, yeah.
1: or uh, we've got, or your position is too weird for us. Yeah, which is which I think happens
0: to me a lot. Um, it strikes me that I wouldn't, and of course, my position of you know sitting across from you in a podcast, not not it, it not being my work, but it would interest me to get those I would like to be a person who occasionally got those
1: got the uh, that's uh, too
0: that's too crazy for us right now
1: yeah I don't think they ever <laughs> say that um, <laughs> they find some other way to yeah, say that. yeah they it. find something something else to say that um, or you know the most common the most common response you get when you get rejected is either you just don't get a response at all um, which drives me out the wall um, or not getting
0: a response to inquiries if I reply to inquiries really well. Yeah, um, yeah. And I'm super keen and then I just don't hear anything back. It's like, well, you were super keen yep. when you were asking me in the first place. <laughs> yeah, or I spent like
1: 20 minutes writing this pitch for you and you don't even just send me an email to say no thanks. You know, that drives me up the wall. Um, so we either get that or the other one is just a thanks for submitting but I don't think this is quite right for us, uh, which is code for, I don't know, what could be code for anything. Um, but often I think it can be code for is a bit too crazy for us right now. Or, you know, But sometimes it might just be code for, like, we've got other stuff on this issue or, you know, And sometimes you get people say, you know, we've had a bunch of pieces on this issue, so interesting take, but we're not going to take this one, Mm. Um, which happens. But, you know, rejection is a thing you have to deal with. Yeah, totally. It's just a thing you have to deal with. And it. I thought it would get easier, and it is easier in terms of, like, my articles that I pitch. Yeah. should we hope for
0: that? No, it's, it's fine. Um, it's yeah, so th- much easier keeping the windows open here because it's otherwise it's a bit too hot. <laughs> yeah, fair enough.
1: Um, yeah, I thought rejection would be easier, but then I started working on bigger projects and then getting rejected for those, and then that starts to hurt because you're like, no, I've been working on this for months. Why are you rejecting this? Um, but then, you know, that's just because you've got to meet a higher standard and you've got to work harder on that um, but you know rejection is just a thing you have to deal with everybody gets rejected when you're writing I don't think in the world there is a single writer who has had every piece accepted um, or had every idea <laughs> accepted or every book accepted there just does not exist um, you know and so that is just you have to have a thick skin in that way um, you can't you can't survive if you don't
0: we're going to leave it there. Simon, wait. next time you're up, we should have a chat again because this could go on for ages. Yeah, yeah. I'd be happy to. <laughs> Thank you so much. Where can the internet find you, Simon?
1: Um, a few places. Um, so you can find me on Twitter at Simon Copland or on have f- got a Facebook page uh, at Simon Copland Writer and then you can find my website, which is com.
0: How simple is that?
1: Yeah, Simon Copland. Just I just like to stick to my name because it's... It just makes it easy for you to find me. <laughs>
0: We're gonna um, make a picture and um, maybe have another glass of water and and um, hopefully you guys found that interesting because I certainly did. Yeah, I hope so too. Thank, Thank you. you very much
1: for having me on. Oh,
0: my absolute pleasure. Thank you so much.